Well, this morning we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Nehemiah, which tells the story of God's people rebuilding the broken down walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah is all about building a new Jerusalem, which, as we learned in the book of Revelation, is exactly what the church is called to do today. We are building a new Jerusalem. So for the next couple of months, we're going to turn to the book of Nehemiah in order to learn how we're to go about doing that. When the church is in disrepair, what should Christians be doing? In the midst of a society that cares very little for the pursuit of holiness or of the word of God, what should be our posture? Last week, we saw the Israelites begin to repair the wall around Jerusalem. We saw that that was holy work, but it wasn't just work for the priesthood. Every worshiper of God contributes to the building up of the city of God. Faithful work, no matter what it is, helps to bring about the kingdom of God. So this week, we see the opposition to that work and how Nehemiah responds. Verse 1, Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Sanballat and the other officials mocked the Jews for building, just as people did in Noah's day when he was building the ark. It's a theme in the Bible, and it continues today. But listen to what Megan read in Psalm 2 about those who take counsel against the Lord and his anointed. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. That word for holds them in derision is the same one used in Nehemiah 1 when it says that Sanballat jeered at the Jews. So God mocks Sanballat, and he mocks those like him. God is not like a casual sports fan who can watch a game without being bothered by who wins. God chooses sides. Here in the book of Nehemiah, he's very much on the side of Nehemiah and the Jews. We read last week in 1 Peter, once you, that's us, once you were not a people, now you are God's people. So if we are God's people, sometimes we need to pick sides too. More on this later, but where justice and truth are concerned, the church cannot be neutral. Chapter 4 starts with resistance to building of the wall, and in verse 4 we see Nehemiah's response. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So when resistance comes, Nehemiah's first response is to pray to God. In chapter 1, we saw Nehemiah lament, pray, and repent over the state of God's city. In chapter 2, we saw him pray and fast before going before the king to talk about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. So his response here matches that. He is confident enough that the work that God has given him to do is to build this wall. So in the face of opposition, he's not discouraged. He doesn't question the wisdom of what he's doing. 
he doesn't even try to reason with the opposition or find a more diplomatic way to go about the work. Instead, he appeals to God. They have provoked you to anger. In essence, don't look the other way. So Nehemiah is confident in who God is, and he's confident that God has commissioned him to do the work. So therefore, he's confident that the work can and must be done. So when opposition comes, first Nehemiah prays, and then he gets to work. Verse 6, so we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. This is the thing about God's city. It's a real place with real walls that don't just sprout up on their own. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, but it's also a physical one. A spiritual city might have been built by prayer alone. Nehemiah's first action could have been his last. He would have prayed and God would have destroyed Sanballat and Tobiah. He would have strengthened the Israelites, built the walls, and established a city for his people. Now God does accomplish all of those things, but we see in Nehemiah that he uses his people to do each one. When the men mocking in verse 2 are plotting to kill the Jews, in verse 8, God protected them. But so did men with weapons. The walls of Jerusalem do get built. God enabled that to happen by giving Nehemiah favor with the king. But Nehemiah and a whole litany of people that you can read about in chapter 3, they did the building. God did preserve his people through this ordeal. He was faithful. He protected them. He sustained them. But so did Nehemiah. Through faithful and present leadership, Nehemiah was an example. He reminded them of God's faithfulness, and he labored and fought alongside them. So Nehemiah had a wall to build, but what is our labor today? We've said that the church is building the city of God within the city of man, here within Houston. The city of God is a place where righteousness and goodness the traits of God, where they reign, and we want to see that kingdom come here in this neighborhood. Each of our jobs may look different, but here are some ways that we can all labor in the city of God. Number one, be a good neighbor. If your neighbor has a need, be the family that meets it. Make yourself available for meals, errands, to take care of kids, or just being a friend to someone who's lonely. Number two, Be a good brother or sister in Christ. Care for the people in your parish and within this church. Take an interest in their lives. Support one another. Pray with and for one another. Outdo one another in showing honor. Number three, serve the church. There's a lot of work that goes into making any church run, and we're no exception. There are people here praying before we start every week before most people arrive. There are people caring for and teaching your children right now, people making sure we have communion elements, people reading scripture, people picking up after everyone leaves, coming to work days, doing what needs to be done. There's a lot of work to do. So if you don't know what to do, ask, and you will certainly find a job. And number four, work diligently at your job and be generous with what you earn there. Drew talked about this in last week's sermon. Work itself, no matter what it is, is 
good and holy if it's done in the name of the Lord. Plus, in the hands of a child of God, a paycheck, no matter who writes that paycheck, is going to the construction of the city of God. The money that we make funds generosity with our neighbors. It pays for things that our families need, makes the operation of the church and many other organizations possible. So even if you don't work for the church, work faithfully, because you are building the city of God. So far, we've seen in chapter 4, the response to opposition starts with prayer. It continues on to labor. And when the opposition escalates from words to violence, Nehemiah builds the city of God by fighting. Verse 11, And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come along them, among them and kill them and stop the work. And Nehemiah's response to the Jews in chapter 14, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So this response fits with Nehemiah's certainty that we saw earlier. He continued to work in the face of mocking, and finally, he's confident enough to continue even as they prepare for battle. Let's be honest, it needs to be said that today in the United States, when someone gets into the pulpit and talks about Christians being at war, there are good reasons to be skeptical of what they say after that. But looking at Nehemiah, we're not talking about some sort of Christian nationalism. We're not talking about the Second Amendment. I'm not going to tell you to prepare for civil war, as some people seem ready and eager to do. Nehemiah and the Israelites are preparing for war because there is a threat against their lives and their identity as a nation. So how should we think about fighting for the kingdom? When should we be willing to fight, and how? When we talk about fighting for the city of God, we're talking about standing firm and claiming that Jesus is Lord, even as the world around us loudly proclaims that the self is sovereign. It's fighting for justice. It's choosing to order our lives according to scripture, even when it isn't fashionable to do that. There was a time when being a practicing professing Christian came with a certain amount of cultural clout, but in a lot of ways that time is over. But just because the Bible's teaching has fallen out of favor in our culture doesn't mean that we don't have truth on our side. As G.K. Chesterton said, falsehoods do not cease to be falsehoods because they become fashions. Our fight is to make the church a light to the nations and not to allow the nations to steer the direction of the church. So please don't hear me saying that we all need to go onto Twitter and respond to every news story or post that doesn't align with sound doctrine. If I could put it bluntly, nothing could be less courageous or effective than posting witty memes and arguing with people on social media. It might be fun, but it's not Christian warfare. Because we aren't only talking about debating ideas in the public square, we're not only talking about doctrine. There is real evil and injustice in the world, and if the church isn't willing to fight against it, then who will? In Philippians 1, Paul encourages the church, saying, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, 
engaged in the same conflict you saw I had and hear now that I still have. So much like Nehemiah, his audience was in conflict with the world around them. They were fighting. But two verses earlier, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, or am absent I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So before we get to standing firm in opposition to anything, we need to stand firm in opposition to our own sin. We're called first to a manner of life worthy of the gospel. We also need to stand united because we're called to unity with one another, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So to answer how and when to fight, I'll start in verse 17 from Nehemiah. It says, Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. So remember, we didn't start here with a fight. We started with prayer. We continued to labor. And the fighting came last. So if we as individuals or as the big C church, if we are only fighting... Then, and we're not praying, we're not working, then we are failing. We are petulant and ineffective. We may have good arguments, but we are not building the city of God. So if we're going to build the city of God, we need to be like the people in verse 17, laboring with one hand and holding a weapon with the other. 1 Peter 3 says to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you. Usually this is interpreted as the ability to defend your faith or to articulate the gospel. But Peter is calling the church to be a priesthood and a holy nation. Nations defend themselves against attacks. So each of us can be prepared to defend and fight for the holiness of the church within our own personal spheres. A few examples. Living a holy life is a fight. Later, in 1 Peter, he says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. In Genesis 4, God says to Cain, If you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Both Satan and our flesh are adversaries that we fight daily. Just like building the walls of Jerusalem, this resistance will include prayer, labor, and fighting. Remember, the walls of God that the walls of the city of God were what separated them from the outside world. The walls set them apart as holy. So fighting for holiness today is our own wall building. Number two, Christian marriage can be a fight. If you're in a marriage and it feels easier or better to leave, your labor, your fight may be in staying. You may need to fight with your spouse or with yourself to honor the vows that you made before God. You may have a friend or a parish member who's in a marriage like this. You can fight alongside them. Number three, your profession can be a fight. The city of God is a place where justice reigns, and some of you fight for justice every day at work. Some of you put violent offenders 
in jail, off the streets. Some of you work in foster care, advocating for children with no opportunities and no hope. Others mobilize resources to care for families without enough food or shelter. You fight for the justice of God every day. Number four, a stay-at-home mom can fight. A mother is protecting her children from physical dangers, laboring and fighting to model and teach the truth of God rather than the influences of the world. Sometimes she will literally be fighting with a sinful little person inside her own child, bending their will towards what is good and godly. There's an old poem called The Hand That Rocks the Cradle is the Hand That Rules the World. I doubt you feel like you rule the world, but even if that feels like the furthest thing from the truth, you are still in the fight. Finally, number five, public office is a fight. There are people trying to build the city of God by passing good laws. That's their fight. For many of us, it's not our fight. It's good to be reminded that it's not. The Israelites didn't sit at home praising or critiquing Nehemiah or Sanballat and Tobiah, for that matter. They fought their battles, and they did their work. That might be worth keeping in mind the next time you feel yourself getting worked up over social media or anything that you see in the news. Maybe it's not your fight, but maybe it should be. The world benefits from faithful men and women who follow um, Christ's call into public office. But for the rest of us, we can just fight the urge to post when it would be better not to. To close, I want to look at the final verse of chapter 4. It says, So neither I nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is a picture of a people on high alert, ready for action. And it also sounds a lot like the Israelites centuries before at the Passover. Like Nehemiah, they were under foreign rule. There was no city of God. But God was beginning the process of establishing one. He was about to bring the Jews out of Egypt through 40 years in the desert and into the land that he promised Abraham. For the Passover meal, on the night the Israelites left Egypt, God gave them this instruction. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. In both Exodus and Nehemiah, the people are dressed and ready for action. They are active and ready to respond. But in both cases, they're expecting God to do something. In both cases, he does. He uses that posture with a weapon in one hand and tools in the other to build the city of God. Back in verse 1, Sanballat called the Jews feeble. He had a point. The Jews were under Persian rule. The walls of their holy city were in ruins. They were not impressive, and we are not impressive either. We are a very small church trying to impact a large neighborhood in an even larger city. But God uses people who seem feeble to build his city. And Revelation 21 shows us what that city will look like. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, 
clear as crystal. This is the city that we are building. And we are already assured that it will come. When we pray, we're praying to the God who made and sustains all things. When we labor, we're working with and for a God who can do all things. And when we fight, we're fighting alongside Christ who has already conquered death itself. The city of God will be built. It may not feel like we're making any progress. But as Drew said last week, our work is a faithful drop in a bucket of faithfulness that over the course of millennia amounts to the coming of the kingdom of God. There was a journalist in the 1800s named Jacob Rees. He expressed something similar. He devoted his life to the urban poor by exposing their struggles to the middle and upper classes. He had a huge job, and it often felt futile. So in that context, he wrote this. Look at a stonecutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times without so much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not the last blow that did it, but all that had gone before. Our work as the church might look like that. You may feel like you're pounding away at a rock for no reason, making no progress. But when we gather every Sunday, we are reminded that we are the people of God laboring in the city of God. And we can rest assured that the city of God will be built. Pray with me. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in this city and in our lives. Please teach us and show us where we need to work, when we need to fight. Give us strength to work faithfully and the will to fight for holiness. More than anything, we thank you for the finished work of Christ that makes that outcome secure. We pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.